Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. And now, here's Pastor John Hill. Let's dive in. All right, thank you. So, again, we're in this series, and, and the topic today is happiness. This is what I want to talk about. And happiness is built into the grain of our country. It's built in the, all, how we all grow up. As a matter of fact, they put it in our Declaration of Independence when the nation was uh, getting ready to try to become a nation. They declared their independence, and, and happiness or pursuit of happiness is listed in that document as an inalienable right. So that means we all have this right to pursue happiness, not necessarily a right to happiness, but a right to pursue it. And nobody can stop us from that. And so kind of freedom stems from that and all of these great things. Uh, in Disney movies, if you're a Disney fan, uh, you know that the ideal Disney flick ends with a couple finally coming together through all kinds of obstacles, and they live happily ever after. In real life, you get married, and we live... Anyway, uh, so... <laughs> So, and there's struggles, right? Real life, there's struggles. It's not always, it is uh, ultimately, but it's, it's this pursuit of happiness uh, that in our culture is a little bit tough because we don't all share the same definition of what, we're not even sure what it is. Is it a mystical thing? Is it just a feeling? Is there something tangible? Is there a formula to it? Does it come at the end of hard work? Is it just willpower? How do we generate happiness in our lives? And the songs of our culture don't help us a whole lot because they're varied in terms of their philosophy of happiness. Like every song seems like it has a new plan or strategy or philosophy about how to be happy. I know that Farrell made a song and asked us to clap along if you know what happiness is to you, but that could be different for everybody, right? Uh, Bobby McFerrin, for some of you who are a little more seasoned, you can remember his advice was, don't worry. Be happy, right, and we all got really sick of that song. But um, Justin Timberlake, he believes that it's an electric wavy feeling inside his bones and he can't stop it. <laughs> Drake and Lil Wayne, they live by one motto, YOLO, you only live once. Pitbull and Nelly assert that it's the time of our lives. I can tell who likes what by when you react. Um, Everybody from the 80s mistakenly thinks Journey's the best band, but they preach, don't stop believing. They don't even put I-N-G. They just believe in, don't stop. Bon Jovi is convinced it's my life, but he didn't come up with that because Frank Sinatra sang he did it his way, right? Yet the Stones can't get no satisfaction, <laughs> and you too still hasn't found what they're looking for. So if you listen to the music of the world, it's even more confusing. We end up with what I think is the conclusion that was voiced by that great lyrical preacher known as Prince when he wrote a song called Let's Go Crazy. Because <laughs> that's how we feel, right, when we're dealing with this idea of times of it's like a butterfly that darts around and we can't grasp it. And for some of us, even we think we have it, we open our hands only to see that there's no butterfly there or it's filled with sand that's slipping through your fingers. And so happiness can be a bit of a challenge. It's a little bit like in all of our phones or many of our phones, 
I think, I have an Apple. I don't know if some of you have Androids. I don't know if this stuff's on Androids. But the, uh, there's a navigation app. <laughs> I'm kidding. You all have it too. But there's, there's a Google map or some kind of app, navigation app. And it's wonderful because you punch an address, tells you how to get there. If you want, you can even hit a button and some really nice lady or whatever other voice you want to put in there will tell you how to get there. And they won't even argue with you like the people in your car who are all telling you you're going the wrong way. But the point is, is that that app is only, the destination that you get on that app is only as good as the address that you put in. If you put in the wrong address, you go to the wrong destination. Sometimes you even put in what you think is the right destination only to find out that that wasn't really what you were thinking. Or sometimes every once in a while the app glitches and you go to the right destination but the wrong side of it and the entrance is on the other side or it's five blocks east or whatever else, like Disneyland. Anyway, the point is, is that it can be tricky because you end up, if you end up in the wrong place, even if you put what you thought was the right address and you end up in the wrong destination, you end up disillusioned, angry, frustrated, and that's not happiness. So the question becomes, what is the right address for happy? What does that really look like? Some of us think that it's at the corner of success and material wealth and status. And we believe that, right? But what if we're pursuing the wrong road to happiness? What if the address that we've been putting in is not right and it's not going to get us? It'll get us somewhere, but it's not where we think it's supposed to be taking us. What do we do then? Even in churches, they're confused because all kinds of sermons have missed the mark about what it takes to be happy. False teaching has crept in about what blessing from God looks like and how do we get it. And this isn't even a new development because there was all kinds of information even in Jesus' day. Uh, there was all kinds of misunderstanding throughout the Old Testament. It's not new. The reality is, is that for all of us, the address to happiness can be tricky. And it might surprise you, maybe it doesn't, but God wrote a song about happiness too. As a matter of fact, there's 150 songs in the book that we call Psalms. And one of them addresses this issue about happiness. Here's my goal for you today. Here's what I'm hoping as we go to this second part of our series called Summer Playlist. And that is that over the course of today, that we can discover the right address for authentic happiness. My hope is that we can understand what God's favor and blessing really mean. I hope that you can get it. I hope you can obtain it. And I hope that you can calibrate the navigation system of your everyday life so that your life at the end of this, if you begin to apply and implement what we're going to talk about today from the psalm that we're going to look at, this song for the happy, my goal is that your life can be described the way the psalmist will describe right in the middle of this psalm, that everything they does or everything he does prospers. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm in favor of, not, of figuring out how everything I can do can prosper. I'm in favor of that verse being fulfilled in my life. So let's open our Bibles. If you've got a, a device or a hard copy of a Bible, you can go to Psalm chapter 1. If you don't, the verse is going to be up on the screen online. They're going to show up in, in the feed online, and they're in the notes section. So you can access Psalm chapter 1. And the very first line in Psalm chapter 1 says this, How happy or blessed, some of your translations might say, is the one or the person or him. In the Hebrew, the idea of, of, of happiness, the word that's used for how happy is a Greek, or sorry, Hebrew word that means 
blessed or God's favor. That's what's important to know. So what it's really starting this psalm is starting as, it's a psalm of wisdom. We don't know the author, but this song really starts out saying, let me tell you what it looks like for the person who has God's favor. Let me explain to you so you can get a picture of what it's going to look like for you. And then he goes on and he says, how happy is the one who does not? So the beginning of the psalm starts with what you're not supposed to do. It gives you the cautionary tale of happiness, that you can identify the wrong address for happiness. And he says, happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinner, with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. This is a, a progression toward rebellion. It's a progression toward what the psalmist would later call wickedness. And what he's saying is that it involves walking, standing, and sitting. When he says walk in the advice of the wicked, what he's saying is how happy is the one who does not take any advice from those who have no regard for God's view of life. It doesn't mean that you don't know anybody who has no regard for God's view of life because we have to know people because Jesus called us to reach them. We can't walk around as if we're better or be separatists or isolate ourselves. That's not what God called us to do for those of you who are following Jesus. He called us to reach out. But in the process of that, we're not to be leaning into and being influenced by those and the philosophy of those who have no regard for God. That as a matter of fact, what happens when we begin to lean in and we start to take advice from that way of thinking, so I'm thinking of some of you who maybe you get relational advice from a friend who's not church, that doesn't know God, doesn't care about God, and you get relational advice, so your marriage is struggling, you go to your friend and they tell you, well, well, I think you should be happy, so what makes you happy? Well, what makes me happy is this other relationship that's not my spouse. Well, then I think that's what you should do. That's an example of taking advice from the counsel of those we're wicked. You don't stand in the path with sinners. That's to hang out with those who influence towards sin and away from God. So it starts with just listening, and then it's, well, now I'm gathering around friends and people who influence me, who these are my close friends. These are my confidants. These are the ones who I lean on for support. So I'm standing now in this path of sinners, or sit in the seat of and the company, I should say, of mockers, or sometimes I say the, the seat of, of, of mockers. The point is you now have developed, by this point, an increased comfort with human wisdom and the missed blessing from God. You are now comfortable with thinking the same way that the world thinks. The only difference between you and the rest of the world is you happen to come to church. And what the psalmist says is if you want God's favor, don't be that person. You see, there's a great amount of wisdom from this world that is not going to be blessed by God. Let me read for you a couple of examples of what's happening in our culture around us. And you ask yourself, am I comfortable with this or does this make me uncomfortable? Don't focus like most of us might on, wow, that's really messed up. Or, yeah, those kind of people because it's not about people. It's about the way of thought. So, so don't focus on that. Actually ask yourself, is that something that I'm okay with? How about this from the world? My identity, your identity, is found inward, not upward. I am my identified self, not the person the creator made me to be. I just decide what I want to be in any given setting. I just decide that I'm an NBA star. Some of you got that because you laughed, so you understand how ridiculous that would be. But the point is, 
is that that's how you find your identity. Self-truth, what I believe, supersedes objective truth, what God says. So my truth is primary truth. But here's the thing the world says, everybody's got their own primary truth. And we're all okay with it. Which is amazing to me because you've got people completely opposite, totally disagreeing, yet they're both right. Are we comfortable with that? Basic biblical truths, so basic things we learn from the Bible, are more than just old-fashioned. We already know people think that. It's more than problematic. It's more than just being wrong. They're actually extreme and dangerous. So in other words, you cannot trust the Bible or people who use the Bible. Sexuality is a moving and relative target for each individual. You've heard phrases like, just do you. Love is love. Jesus is one of many paths to God. You actually create your own path and just make heaven heaven for you. Are we okay with this? If you are, you may be in a position where you are stand, or walking, standing, or sitting with those who are wicked. That's not the path to happiness. The church has some worldly thinking that's invading it as well. I don't want to make it sound like the church is always right too. You can go to any number of churches in our own city, our country, our world, and you could hear things like God's ultimate plan is to grant you whatever you want so you'll be happy. So then we take that piece I used earlier and we say, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm not happy and God wants me to be happy, so God must want me with this other person. God has a blessing for me no matter how I live because he loves me just as I am. Do you think that came from Scripture? God's desire is to give me victory over all my enemies. Is that what Scripture teaches? God knows my heart, so my decisions and actions, they're not important. America, oh wait, now we're getting deep, is God's favored nation. How about this one? My preferred political party or political leader is the only real choice for genuine Christians. Another way to say it is, how could a Christian follow that party or that person? Maybe some of that makes you super uncomfortable and you're ready to write me an email and say, I don't understand that. Those are philosophies from the world that are mixing with stuff from church and then we're getting bad information. We're entering wrong addresses into our navigational system. And then we can't understand why we can't obtain happiness. It might be because we're trying for the wrong kind of happiness. And it's a happiness that's a lie and that doesn't exist. And it's void of God's favor. Instead, in verse 2, the psalmist tells us, instead of being on that path, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. Delight refers to finding pleasure in something. So they, they get excited about it. They get geeked up about God's instruction. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. There's a lot of people geeked up about the Bible but they're not necessarily geeked up about following what the Bible says. There are a lot who love to learn new stuff, and I've heard of people getting into numerology and getting into prophecy and getting all this stuff, and they want to go deep and dig the deep stuff, but they don't apply any of it. That's not this person. This person is someone who would rather know three things that they do in their life than 300 that they never do because their delight is in the Lord's instruction. It's not their delight is in mastering the Bible. Their delight is implementing the Bible into their life. 
It's implementing what God says. It's doing what God says. As a matter of fact, they meditate on it day and night. To meditate means to recall and ponder and reflect on it in your mind until it becomes a part of you. So in other words, I consume it and I chew it and I, and I consider it and then I play it out in my mind and I figure out my life strategy based on God's instruction. That's the person who is happy, who has God's favor. He goes on in verse 3 and he explains the result that if you're a person who delights in the Lord's instruction, meditates on it day and night, you will become like a tree. In fact, an eternal fruit-bearing tree that is described as one who is planted beside flowing streams. In other words, that tree is getting nourishment. It's deeply rooted. It's, it's not easily swayed. It, it, you know what kind of tree it is. It bears its fruit in its season. That means it's productive and it's maximizing its potential. And we're not talking about a tree saying he's like a tree. So this is a life that is being lived well to its potential. This is a life with the fruit that is actually providing things that other people can even benefit from. Fruit doesn't benefit a tree. It benefits the others who pick it. And a life that is delighted in God's instruction and meditating on it becomes like that. And its leaf does not wither, meaning it's longstanding. It's, it's consistent it makes an impact that goes through eternity. There is so much packed into these six verses in this psalm, but essentially what it's talking about is it's a life, as we read earlier, that whatever he does prospers. Now, that doesn't mean that God just brings and rains wealth and success on them. What it does mean, though, is that whatever they do in their life, if they're guided by their delight and passion for God's instruction, and they're implementing it in such a way that they're chewing on it and meditating on it and putting it into their life, then it's just natural that whatever they do will prosper, but not prosper the way America thinks about it, not prosper the way our world thinks about it, but prosper the way God thinks about it, which we'll discuss in just a moment. The point is, is that there are two paths. One is for the wicked, and one is for the ones who are blessed by God that the psalmist calls the righteous. And he goes back after he talked about, don't follow this path, do this path. Why? Because that path that you're not supposed to follow, it says the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. They're temporary. They get tossed aside. Chaff was that part of a grain that you would pull the kernel off, and what was left was the husk of the grain and then the chaff. That would be tossed. The chaff would blow away into the wind. The kernel of the grain is what would be kept from the threshing floor. The point is this, that people who pursue the path of self-fulfillment, and the first path that was described are people whose, mar whose, whose works and the things that they do and who they are, they will pass. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. This isn't something we should be happy about. We should break our hearts that there are people who have an opportunity to be in a relationship with God, including all of us. And if we bypass that because we buy in and settle for the way of this world, we could be at a deadly game that we're risking with our entire eternity. He goes on and says, the reason this is so is that the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That means the Lord is present in their life. He provides. There's a relationship involved. But 
The way of the wicked leads to ruin. There's a spot in Colorado, if you go into Colorado that you're driving up through the Rockies, there's a place called the Continental Divide. Maybe some of you have been there, maybe you know. I was looking at it this week, and it's literally a spot in Colorado that you get to that it, it's, it's a divi- dividing point as to the drainage of water. So what happens is if you're in that spot, literally a cloud could, could, could bring rain, and depending on which side of the Continental Divide the rain falls, those raindrops or that water can literally be thousands of miles apart by the time it drains down to its lowest point. You end up in oceans thousands of miles apart, even though it started in the same place. That's a lot of what I'm seeing in this psalm. There are two choices. You're all here in this same place. Some of you are going to make the choice of path one. Some of you are going to make the choice of path two. And according to the psalm, you could end up not just thousands of miles apart, but you could end up eternities apart if you choose the wrong path. Every other path except the path that leads through God's favor is a path that is the wrong address that will lead to disillusionment, discouragement, anger, frustration, and unfulfilled life. It doesn't matter how successful you become. It doesn't matter how much you accomplish. It doesn't matter how many people love and know you. It's going to end up in frustration because, listen, it's not about what you do necessarily in this life. It's what story you're going to tell. What story is your life telling? Is it the story of the wicked? It's characterized by independence, status, and wealth. Sounds like a pretty good story. But the reality is the outcome, according to Scripture, is ruin. Destruction, some of your translations will say. The best hope is material success, but that's not enough. Because the last time I checked, and this is a cliche, but it's true, ain't no no hearses carrying U-Hauls. You can't take it with you. And so the truth is, all that material success is left behind. The story of the righteous is characterized by spiritual, relational, and generational blessing. You want to leave a legacy? Follow the path of the righteous. It will help save not just you, but even generations of your family. The outcome is God's eternal presence, protection, and provision. The promise is spiritual significance. See, the reality is, do you choose success or do you choose significance? Here's the thought I want you to take home with you. I want you to think about, talk about over lunch, pray through it, chew on it, and that's this. The clearest measurement of our lives comes at the end of our life. See, our measurement's not our bank account. It's not the degrees behind our name. It's not the respect we may feel like we have from people or the fear. It's not the position we hold. It's not the house we own. It's not the spouse on our arm. It's not the genius of our kids. It's none of that. The reality is most of us think that the measurement for God's favor is success. Again, it's not even new. They thought that in Jesus' day. The reason you're successful, the reason you're doing well, is because God's favor's on you. But that's not true. The truth is Jesus blew that up because, listen, when we think that God's favor is equal to our success, then our success really only impacts our current circumstances and only ours. I'm not saying, oh, be successful, but don't think that's the right path. That just because you're successful, that's going to make it all okay. The reality is if we really want to understand what the clearest measurement is of God's favor, it's significance. It's a life of significance. Because why? While success only impacts my circumstances, significance impacts my soul and the souls of others. And our souls are what are forever. 
Our success is only for here and now. Our soul is forever. The truth is, when we pursue significance, it moves our souls. We move our souls. When we, when we go for success, we get religion. When we go for significance, we get relationship. Success can give us head knowledge, but significance gives us experiential knowledge. Success, you could have success with behavior modification, but significance comes with life transformation. You could have success in addressing poverty, but significance means that you actually bring peace. You could have success with being me-driven, but significance comes with being we-driven. You can have success being isolated and on your own and it's all for you and you look out for number one, but significance comes when we're connected. You could have success with your income, but you have significance with your influence. You have success with being culturally woke, but you have significance being spiritually alive. And you can have success with entitlement, but significance comes with empowerment. Which story is your life telling? That's the song for the happy. There's only two. You tell the story of wickedness or you tell the story of blessing. And when you merge the two and you think that God's blessing is material success, you're actually, maybe unknowingly, maybe ignorantly, but you're actually still on the path of the wicked because the wicked are self-involved. Here's what Timothy, sorry, let me go back from the jump of verse before I tell you. The, the, the question becomes, how do we live this life of significance? That's the question, right? Hopefully we can all agree that significance is better than success. Not saying you can't be successful, but maybe you could even take the success you have and use it to plant seeds of significance. Maybe your significance can be in taking your success and helping others be successful. But just to be successful for the sake of being self-fulfilled, that is a lie from the enemy. It is a wicked trap that blinds you. It's the wrong address that's going to send you on a lifelong journey, and you're going to end up on the wrong side of your destination. So how do we find significance? Well, here's where it starts. Number one, arrest your dependence on material success. Okay? The word arrest, if you're in law enforcement, you know it's cease or stop. It's to take into custody. It's literally to slap the cuffs on it. <laughs> you need to take the cuffs and slap it on our desire, our dependence upon material success. I love America, but the American dream and the declaration to be independent, it doesn't work. I don't want to live anywhere else, so don't get me wrong. I'm not running to Canada or anywhere else. I'm going to stay in America. If I can, I'm going to stay in this part of America in Southern California. But the truth is, the American dream has led to destruction. It's led to oppression. It's led to division. It's led to some things that are devastating in our culture. Why? Because it's the wrong address. Success is not what we should depend on. Success is not what we should trust in. Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, and he said, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to place their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. It's not saying don't be wealthy. Just don't be arrogant and don't place your hope in it. <laughs> that in fact, you can have some stuff. Paul says, just don't let your stuff have you. 
he would go on, and in 2 Corinthians, he would write to another church that was wrestling. It was also wealthy and was wrestling with some of these things. He said, although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. The battle is not against other people or people groups or, or political parties or any of that other stuff. Instead, it says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for these enemies, the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments. You have strongholds. You have arguments. You have every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. It's not the people. It's the philosophy. It's the way of thinking. It's the, it's the influence of the, of the worldly way of thinking that is, that is poisoning other people. Some of the people you think you love the least, that's why Jesus would say, love your enemies. They're in oppression too. They're bound by that philosophy and Paul says it is our job to take the cuffs of God's truth and take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. We ha- Listen, if you're not doing that and if you're worse allowing those thoughts to, and you're strap- strapping on it a cloth that says the Bible or Jesus, then you are even on a worse path and a worse road because you can't claim ignorance. And then you're even involved in deceiving others. The truth is that we have some very spiritual weapons that are intended to defeat these strongholds, these arguments, and this pride. And until we arrest it, it's going to be in our lives. Prayer, biblical truth, God's character, his promises, biblical community, spiritual gifting, our testimony of God's activity in our lives. These are all the weapons that keep us off the path so that we're not walking, standing, or sitting with mockers and people who think apart from God. Where are we at on that? Here's number two. Invest in your dedication to eternal significance. Here's what I mean. As you arrest your dependence upon the world and on on material wealth, there has to be something you invest in, right? So you really divest of that, and then you invest in something different. And the investment that you should have, hopefully, is your dedication to eternal significance. Investment takes risk, right? You could lose. The good news of Scripture is you won't, but you could lose, It also takes dedication. Dedication equals habits. What habits are you developing that will promote eternal significance? Do you have a habit of meeting with God each day? Do you have a habit of prayer? Do you have, listen, you don't have to do it all. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to get grandiose. I I love it, but but I feel for people. I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. I've read the Bible six times. I don't live any of it, but I read it six times. Listen, habits are things that you have to start small, and you do small habits over a long period of time. You don't always see the results in yourself, but here's who sees it, everyone else. And that's who should see it. Your wife, your husband, your family, your parents, your neighborhood, your boss, your coworkers, the people you manage, all of them should see it. When I made an investment five months ago to said, I'm going to be a healthy person. I don't care how much weight I lose. I'm not trying to say I'm going to lose this and go on a crash diet or whatever. I just invested in healthy living. 
And I don't even know. I know I've lost some weight. I know I look different. I know I feel better. I know all the marks of my health report are better. I know my doctor is now not stressing over seeing me. I know my wife feels like I might be here through retirement at least. She, I mean, all of these factors I know. I know people get, what happened? Where'd you go? What's going I don't know. But here's what I know. I committed to health and then began to build small habits to make it happen. If you want spiritual health, you have to do the same thing. And that takes dedication. And the goal shouldn't be, I want to lose a certain amount of weight. The goal needs to be, I want to be a healthy person. The spiritual goal is, I want to make an eternal difference. I want to live a life of significance. I don't want a title. I don't want everybody to notice me. I don't want to be the guy in the room that everybody looks at and says, man, I wish I could be like him. No, I just want to make a difference in people's lives. I want to glorify God. I want to make disciples. Now, what can I do today that will help me do that? I would suggest starting with prayer. I would suggest opening up your Bible and saying, I'm not going to read the whole Bible and all that. What I'm going to do is read chunks of the Bible as I can handle it, and I'm going to listen to God. I'm going to consume it. I'm going to chew on it. I'm going to dream it into my life and say, what do I do with this? I'm going to consult with other people and do it in, a, in community with other folks so that I get some wisdom from them, not the ones who are on the path, right? Not the scoffers and not the sinners and not all that. But the pe- Listen, we're all sinners, but you know what I mean. Not the people who have no interest in God. I'm going to come to the people who know and love God. So are you in a small group? That's a good habit. The point is you have to invest. Here's what the Psalms say. Psalm 4610 says, stop fighting. Some of you right now in your heart and mind, you're fighting what I'm saying. I know it. You don't know I know it. I don't even have my glasses on. I can't even, all I see are blurs. But I know some of you are struggling. I know some of you wish that I would turn away long enough and everybody else would blink long enough that you could walk out of here. God says, stop fighting and know that I'm God. He's promising and offering an opportunity to know him relationally, experientially. It's not, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Stop getting over here and doing all that fighting. Just be still, one translation says. Let me show you I'm God. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you your heart's desires. Now, we've quoted that to say, if I just love God, he's going to give me everything I want. No. If you take delight in the Lord, he's going to change your heart, and you're going to have new desires that he wants to give you. That's what it means. For some of you, like we read earlier, your delight needs to be in the Lord's instruction. You need to meditate on it day and night. Jesus said it this way. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Invest in treasures that make a difference in heaven. Here's number three. You arrest your dependence on material success. Invest in your dedication to eternal significance. Manifest your drive to use God's favor to bless others. So many times we manifest, you see that now in the world, like manifest it, manifest it, okay, which means I just dream it up, throw it on a vision board, I'm going to make it happen, I brought it into presence. No, you didn't. But how about instead of manifesting all of our wealth and our accomplishment and all of that really largely to impress people that we don't even like, why don't we manifest what God's doing in our lives so someone else might benefit from it? Why don't we take the blessings that God is giving us and instead of hoarding them and being grateful and thinking, oh, I got this and I did this and this is great, we take those, those, those blessings, which some of them are material, some of them are your time, some of them are your giftedness, your talents, your experiences. Why don't we take those things, instead of holding them in, we find a way to use them for God, to bless others. 
In our psalm, the, the person who's righteous would become like a tree that's yielding its fruit. Fruit is for other people. It's not for us. So what are you growing out of your life that other people can pick and benefit from and experience God? Who else can taste and see that God is good because of your life? Because of my life. Not just in church, that's easy. We're all good in church, especially if we stop by the cafe and we get a nice beverage and we're good. How about when you're not at church? How about when we're on our jobs, in our communities, at our homes? Do you leave church and immediately get in an argument with your family on the way home? Do you go to work bitter and you steal from the office and you do I'm not trying to make people feel guilty. I'm saying, why don't we think in terms, because all of that stuff usually comes from the drive to be successful, whatever we defined it as. But how about a drive to be significant, to build significance? Jesus said the best way we can be significant in other people's lives is to go and make disciples. We teach them what the Lord has taught us. You can't teach what you don't know. So learn and teach, learn and teach, learn and teach. Teach and reach, teach and reach. Reach and reach again. That's what it means to be a blessing. Listen, Paul, back to that letter he wrote to Timothy about rich people, instruct those who are rich. And by the way, you're rich. You may not feel it. You may not because you're comparing to other people. But compare yourself to the rest of the world. You're rich. I don't have time to get into it, but you're rich. So he says, do what is good, be rich in good works, be generous and willing to share. And this is what I love. If you take that mindset on, you will take hold of what is truly life. That's the, that's the key, truly life. There are two lives that you can choose from. There's the life of self-fulfillment, which leads to ruin. There's a life of significance that is the real life that leads to God's favor and blessing, which this psalmist defines as happiness. Your address for happiness is significance. And that's the measurement of a life that will only be taken at the end of that life. So the question is, what are you going to do with this? Jesus even challenged us in his message called the Sermon on the Mount. On the earth, two followers, he was describing the kingdom of God, and he said this, enter through the narrow gate. We just sang about it. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. They don't few find it because it's hard to find. Jesus came to the earth thousands of years ago. Think about it. We're still talking about him thousands of years later. And he declared before all of us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's not hard to find. That life is through Jesus. And it's the only way. It's the only address that you can punch into your navigation system. So there's a couple of responses that could be happening. For some of you, you've got to go all in with Jesus. You've been a church member. You've been doing church. You need to start being the church. You've been doing God. You need to start living for God. You've got to go all in. Some of you need to stay the path because you're thinking about quitting or buying into the, the philosophies of the world because things aren't going great and you have a tough situation or season in your life. You need to stay the course. Be that tree that is firmly planted by water. That water being Jesus, who also, by the way, said, I'm, I'm the living water. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that it's still the same path. Stay the course. And there are some of you 
who need to take all that stuff, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, and all that that you have, and you need to begin to use it to help bless other people because you're not manifesting it to anybody. And you're shy or you're humble or you're whatever is the reason, afraid, you got to step out. And then still for others, and this is what we'll close with, some of you need to exit the path you are on because the path you are on is leading to ruin. You might be doing great on that path right now, but the end result of that address that is in your life navigation system is destruction. The cliff is coming. You don't know it, but it's coming. It's going to come as a heart attack. It's going to come as a divorce. It's going to come as bankruptcy. It's going to come as getting fired. It's coming. And ultimately, it's going to come because you stop breathing and you will face God and he will measure your life and you'll say, look at all the degrees and look at all the stuff and look at all that I did. And he's going to say, wrong address. Because the only thing that will work in that moment is, I don't have anything to offer you, God. But I know your son died on a cross. And I know he came back from the grave. And I know that he didn't die because he had to or he deserved to. He died because he wanted to pay my debt that I couldn't pay you. And now I place my trust in him. And I depended on him. And I meditated on your word. And I loved you. And I delighted in you. And I don't deserve to be here. But because of the power of Jesus, I'm trusting you to let me stay with you for all of eternity. Can you say that? If you can't, I want to give you an opportunity today. I'm going to invite everybody to bow your head. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we talk about it being like the ABCs. It's admitting that you have a need. I can't do it on my own, God. It's believing that Jesus is the answer to that need. I believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he died on that cross, that he resurrected and it's that he can forgive my sins. And then see committing your life to him. We do this through an act of prayer. It's a commitment that we can make in our hearts. I want to encourage you, if you're here today, if that's a genuine request of your heart, I'm going to give you some words that you can pray. These are not set words that are magical. They're just words that if your heart resonate with your heart and you mean them genuinely, then I am promising you today that you can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can get on the path of significance. The prayer, you can pray this in your mind quietly out loud if you'd like. Jesus, I put my trust in you. I no longer want to trust in material success. I no longer want to live my life for only myself. I believe you died in my place so I can be forgiven of my sins. Help me to take hold of that which is truly life. I know I don't deserve your favor but I commit my life to you today. I choose to leave my old life behind. Help me live a life of significance from this day forward. Teach me to delight myself in you and to love your instruction. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We program bulletin we passed out. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, or maybe the first time you meant it, there's a, Haraway that's on this form, small. You can write your prayer request, but you can also have a box there that says, I, I said yes. would love for you to check that box, turn it into the offering that we're going to take in just a moment. That's your offering today. 
You're saying, I'm giving my life. And what you're doing by doing that is letting us know so that we can follow up with you. Somebody from our team will reach out, and they'll follow up with you to tell, help you with some next steps. If you can't wait for that, you can head back, and we have a next step table in our lobby. And you can talk to the people there and tell them, turn in the slip, tell them what you did. If you don't and can't do that and you can't and you didn't turn this in and you want to take care of this as you go home, you can text the word next to the phone number on the screen, 909-281-7797. If you're online, you can answer in the chat, click on the appropriate boxes, put in there, I said yes, and someone will be in touch with you to follow up. What we want is for no one to leave here not being sure of your relationship with Jesus, not being sure of the path you're on because the clearest measure of a life doesn't occur until the end of that life. And the clearest measure is not success. It's not even happiness. It's significance. And that starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to arrest our dependence upon material success. We have to invest in our dedication to eternal significance. And we need to manifest our drive to bless others with what God's blessed us with. Next week, it's Father's Day. We're going to have a new song from God. It's a song for families. Who can you invite to come to this? Because it's powerful that God wrote some songs. And that we may have a lot of other stuff on our playlist, but these songs that we're going to talk about this summer, it's a mandate that they're on your playlist of life. And you play a playlist on a road trip. Where's the road of your life heading? I hope and trust that you are going to recalibrate your navigation and chase after God and not pursuit of happiness, but the pursuit of significance, walking with God. Let's pray, and we'll continue in our worship and in our service to God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of this text, Lord, and for what you give to us uh, as an address for our navigation systems, Lord. I pray for each person, all of us. I don't really think it matters where we're at in life. I pray that we would choose to shift or to continue, Father, or to even deepen our commitment to find significance. And we know that that's found in you. May we leave or not even put foot on the path of the wicked. And may we pursue uh, a path of significance. God, I know that th through your word and through our commitment to you, you are going to do things that will, that will reverberate through all of eternity. There will be things that will impact people's lives, our families, generations, the people who come after us, our families who will come after us. This community, this city, it's going to affect everyone around us. And I pray as a people that that's what we would decide to do. Lord, as we continue in worship through giving and worship through singing, may we make room for you. May we make room so that your spirit can work among us and maybe we need prayer. Maybe we may make a decision, take a next step. May we take the time today, make room in our schedules, make room in our hearts and minds, make room in this day to respond to what you have for us. And we will praise you for it. We will thank you for it in the mighty, amazing, undeserved name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 
909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.